through the passage this week and over the next couple of weeks, he said the most important question we ask of the text is not what does it mean, but what can I obey? And that's what we want to keep in mind when we come into contact with hard texts. These are hard, hard texts, and that's good. That's good for us to confront God's Word and for it to literally pop up questions in our heart. That means that we're experiencing a level of growth and maturity that we have not yet experienced. We want to remember that as we dive into God's Word. So will you pray with me as we consider that? Lord, thank you that you do give us your Word and that your Word is all gracious and it's all powerful and it's good for reproof and correction for all training in righteousness. And Lord, in that, in that training in righteousness, it's like anything else that we train for. We experience growth pains as our muscles, as our spiritual muscles are stretching to contemplate and to meditate and to think about and to grow through the words that you've given us. So Lord, do that for us today. Humble us in your word. We are not a humble people. So we come before you praying that you would soften our hearts. Holy Spirit, your God, we pray to you that you would do that softening. You would reveal these truths to us as we struggle through your word, as we wrestle through the text, and as we see the freedom and the life that is contained with the words that you've inspired Peter to write that we are now going to read this morning. And we thank you for all this. In Jesus' name, we all get together in agreement. Amen. We'll go ahead and grab your Bibles. If this is your first time, we're in the ESV, the English Standard Version. You want to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be camping out in verses 18 through 25 this morning as we're into week 8 of our Holiness and Hope uh, series. Really, the, the title this morning is The Call to Suffering. It really could also be called The Call to Submission. Um, and let me just say that, man, this, is, uh, this message carries a lot of personal weight for me. I found myself just struggling as I was pushing through these verses. It brought up a lot of things in my life that the Lord recalled to my heart as he reminded me of some of the ways that I've been called to submit, that I have struggled with, that has also kind of taken me through bits and pieces of personal suffering. Um, so this is, these are some interesting passages for us to really kind of stop and to settle into and to be very quiet in our hearts as we meditate on the words and how, what God is trying to say to us in this. Last week, we learned about living as honorable servants of the Lord in a society that doesn't honor Christ as Lord. And Peter had some instruction for us, didn't he? He said, look, you got to abstain from, from the flesh. He said, you got to have honorable conduct around those who don't know the Lord. And we, we also talked about that those are acts of faith and humility that drive us into being able to accomplish those things. And then this week, we're going to sort of continue with that theme of submitting ourselves to the Lord because God is calling us to something. Peter is instructing this, this, uh, this, this series of churches that would be sort of laid out in modern-day Turkey. He's calling them to something. So whenever we read God's Word, he's calling us to be something within the words that he's going to work through in our hearts. And what God is calling Christians to is to graciously submit to injustice and endure suffering like Christ so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness in Christ. And so today, man, we're going to read Peter's just outrageous instruction to slaves 
who were suffering under the harsh treatment of their masters. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take what he's saying, we're going to apply it to us in terms of how we relate uh, to the workforce and in our workplaces. But we have to understand, as we're going through this, Peter is writing to people who were under the yoke of slavery and who were suffering under harsh treatment from their masters, all right? So we want to keep that in mind, that this is who he was writing this particular uh, text to uh, this morning. And again, we're going to make some broader applications for us related to the workplace and how God calls us to live as exiles and sojourners in that. Because one of our deepest struggles, the thing, one of the things that just hits us is submitting graciously to those who are treating us harshly and unfairly. Like none of us just like are okay with that, Right? When somebody starts bearing down on us in unfair and an unjust way, our first inclination is always to stand up for our rights and to push back when a boss or a manager treats us unjustly. Or maybe when we're gossiped against in the workplace. Or maybe when we're humiliated in front of coworkers. We experience these moments where we feel demeaned by a supervisor when we're forced into these situations that we don't ask for, but then the call is, how do we respond? As people now who have Christ living inside of them and have been called to live righteously, how do we respond? And Peter calls for a response, right? None of us are response neutral. But Peter is calling for a response that literally has nothing in common with how the world responds when faced with this kind of suffering. This type of suffering that Peter is going to talk about. And what happens with this type of submission to unjustness and unfairness, what happens is three things happen. What what happens to us in our hearts when we're faced with this. Number one, we're drawn to Christ. We're drawn to Christ through unjust suffering. Number two, the power of Christ is demonstrated in us. And number three, the endurance of Christ develops in us. And you know what? Endurance matters. And Peter's going to be talking about endurance in this text. Endurance matters because we're called to do things, and you're going to see it this morning because it's crazy. We're called to do things that are very counterintuitive and peculiar in a society that doesn't value the same things that we value. But endurance matters for us because we're running a race You know, Paul talks about running a race to receive a prize. And you know what? That's kind of exclusive to us. That's kind of exclusive to those who are believers, who are, as Peter reminded us last week, beloved exiles, loved very specifically and specially by God. You know, because here's the thing. Endurance is not necessarily a high priority for anyone that's not running the race, right? I mean, I I got to be honest. I wasn't super concerned about my fitness level for the Columbus Half Marathon last week because I wasn't running in it which is something I plan on not doing for as long as I live, (laughs) by the way. But what Peter is doing this morning, he's preparing the churches he's writing to how to endure in a culture that will be bearing down on them for being faithful to the life they now live in Christ. So man, what has he been doing all this time? I mean, this is not new territory for us. He constantly reminds them of their status in the world, which last week he said, You are beloved. You are loved by God. You are precious to God. And you're also exiles and you're sojourners. This is not your home. You can't be so tied to a place 
that doesn't connect with you and connect with your heart anymore because your heart now belongs to a God who is preparing a place for which you will someday arrive and be with him forever in. So two things. They're beloved and they're also exiles and they're sojourners. So let's pick up chapter 2, verse 18. It says this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Let's just stop right there for one second. A couple of interesting things going on here as we get into this text. Peter is calling for submission. Again, he's, this is, he's, he's writing to slaves who are suffering under unjust masters. We're going to sort of apply it to our position in place in the workforce. But Peter is calling essentially for submission in the workplace regardless of whether Mother Teresa or Ebenezer Scrooge is the one in authority. That's kind of what he's driving at here. He oddly leaves no loopholes for disrespect, for doing a poor job, or for seeking vindication in the event of harsh or unjust treatment. We don't see that anywhere in here. And you know what's interesting about us, like when we talk about like working for a boss and being in the workforce, is we would say respect is earned, right? I mean, you guys have probably all said that. Like, hey, respect is earned, brother. Like, you respect me, I respect you. It's a conditional thing for us. My respect is based on the treatment and the respect that I get from you. And then you see our boy Peter here, and you know what he does? He flips it. The dude just flips it on us, and he says, for those who are in an environment where there were no options, remember who he's talking to, for those who are in an environment where there were no options to file a lawsuit for harassment, this is what he's telling them right now. He's giving them a new paradigm for how to live out their faith, which is not repaying evil for evil like Paul instructed the Romans. A Christian always needs to be reminded and to remember who their real boss is. And that's really what Peter is driving at here because the key line here when we go down to uh, verse 18 is mindful of God. Mindful of God. The only way any of this that we're talking about this morning, any of this instruction that Peter's giving to his readers will be possible is when you are mindful of the mercy and grace that God has given to you in Christ. Who in Philippians 2 says, have this mind among yourselves. This is Paul writing the Philippians, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we see here from Peter that it's a gracious thing in God's eyes when we suffer for doing good. When we suffer for doing good. Peter may have Remember the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So it's our gracious response during moments of mistreatment that show whose kingdom we're a part of. Does that make sense? Somebody nod your head. Yeah. 
You know, one of the things that we say, you know, when we see somebody who is just under pressure or under attack when they respond graciously and they don't return evil for evil, one of the things we say, we, rem- we, we marvel at that, don't we? We say, your parents must have raised you well. We marvel at the fact that they have restraint under pressure. We're shocked at the fact that they don't repay evil for evil. Whenever we see something like that, it causes us to pause. It causes us to pause. It makes us wonder, well, what's going on in their heart that they could receive such mistreatment but not retaliate? How do we become people who don't retaliate? Because here's the thing. I'm a retaliator. I'm Ronnie the Retaliator, right? That's the nickname. that Nobody's given me that nickname, but that, it, like, it should be my nickname, right? Because that's what I feel like when I feel like somebody is unjustly bearing down on me. I just want to get back. I want to retaliate. I want to say, oh, heck no. Like, that's not happening. This is not happening. You know, Peter says it's to our credit here in verse 20. He says, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? I mean, just let, let, that, let the language of, of that verse like, get into you a little bit. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, look, if they ever let Charlie Manson out of prison, I mean, nobody's going to praise that dude for enduring a life sentence served for murder. It's no credit to him to have to serve the punishment for what he did. But on the other hand, what do we do with soldiers? We give soldiers purple hearts, right? We award them a purple heart when they've been wounded for protecting our nation because they endured suffering for doing good. We understand that mentally. We get that. We understand what it means to be rewarded for bearing fruit under the pressure of persecution. And again, Christians will receive the same thing. We'll receive God's favor and approval when we endure injustice while doing good. And the only way that happens, Peter's pretty clear here. I mean, it's not that complicated. The only way that happens is when our mind is set on God. And we, when we deny ourselves the vengeance and vindication that our flesh is drawn to. Because that's really what I want. But you know what that is for us? When we are mindful of God in those situations, it's an act of faith. Just like we learned last week, when we have honorable conduct among those who don't know Christ, and we abstain from the flesh, it's an act of faith. And the credit we receive for faith is righteousness, because our hearts now are being formed into the heart of Christ. And Christ responded in faith when receiving the ultimate suffering. Peter says, that's our example to follow. He says it in verse 21 and 22, He says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And then he says this in verse 22. Listen, he says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I mean, that's just like not going to make my top five most favorite scripture verses. You know, let me just be honest with you about that. The call for all Christians 
is to suffer injustice like Jesus. What? Who is our example to follow? Notice notice what Peter didn't do. Peter didn't lay out 10 steps on how to suffer well, right? He doesn't give everyone a link for the latest book on suffering, you know, on Amazon Prime. Like, that's not what he's doing right here. The example is Jesus himself. He gives the person of Jesus as the example for us to follow. Look, if I'm suffering mistreatment, if I'm suffering mistreatment, merely following a set of practical examples for how to suffer well are not what will produce endurance in me. Those things are going to run their course. They're going to end in exhaustion. They're going to end in frustration. They're going to end in me taking matters back into my own hands because what those things do is make me mindful of me. They make me mindful of how I'm feeling in any given situation instead of being what Peter just instructed us, which is being mindful of God, remembering how Christ endured through his own suffering. So what Peter does is he anchors our suffering in the person of Jesus. It's significant. It's not following steps. It's following in his steps that leads to glory. Following in his steps is how I entrust my life to a just God. Well, what, what, are, the, what are those footsteps? What are the footsteps of Jesus that Peter is, is calling these slaves that are suffering cruel and harsh injustice. What are these footsteps that he's calling them and us to? Well, it says it right there. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is the sinless perfection of Jesus. This is the spotless, unblemished lamb of God. This is not us. I mean, you've seen those Orbit gum commercials, right? Do you have a dirty mouth, right? Take Orbit. You know, I don't know, some British lady with the little ding. Nobody knows what I'm talking about right now, but I wanted to throw it out there. Some, yeah, somebody's shaking their head. Thank you. That's us, though. That's us. We are the ones who have the dirty mouths. We are the ones who have committed the sin. It's interesting that Jesus, when he was harassed, it's interesting that Jesus, when he suffered undue and unjust punishment. It's interesting that he responded in the righteousness that we now die to ourselves to attain to. Isn't that interesting? And what's interesting is to look at how he responded out of his righteousness. When reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He didn't threaten. And what is the first thing that wants to come bursting out of our mouths when we're slandered against? I'm telling you, man. To slander in return. What's the first thing we crave when someone physically harms us? Well, if we can't harm them right on the spot, we threaten to harm them. We say, you're going to get yours. You just wait. You know what's so interesting with what Peter says here? Is that Jesus didn't respond like that. He didn't respond. His response was no response. Why? Because he entrusted himself to God who he believed would judge with equity. That was his response. And it was based on a belief and an obedience to God. Jesus felt no need to respond to his accusers because he believed that God, his Father, had the last word. That's really helpful for us to remember. 
See, we always think when we're being sinned against, or we're being demeaned, or being put in our place, what we're always really afraid of is that if I stay silent, it means that they win. It means that they get the last word. But it's actually not true for those of us who are in Christ. We know that someday, and it might be a long, far-off day, but God always has the last word. And Jesus understood that his Father had the last word. And that's easy to forget. That's easy to forget when we're being sinned against because it hurts, doesn't it? Remember, he's writing to people that are hurting. They're hurting. This is a physical thing he's talking about. He's not talking about a guy that said something really mean and tweeted it at you. You know, he's not talking about a dude that, like, updated his Facebook and said, you know, Ronnie's a meanie. I mean, I mean, those are the things that we're dealing with, you know, on a very base level. He's writing to people who are being inflicted with pain. And this is what he is instructing them in. Jesus knew that his father had the last word. It's hard to remember that. It's hard to remember that because what happens is when we are suffering under any level of persecution or injustice, man, we, we end up kind of falling back into ourselves. It's during those times that we aren't so mindful of God, but we become more, we, we more self-minded. It's hard to remember that God isn't flippant. That's what Peter's instructing them. He's trying to remind them that God is in control of all things. God is not arbitrary, you know? Like, we think God is arbitrary. Isn't it weird that we just, we kind of fall back, we snap back into that, right? We think he's up in heaven saying, you know, Gabriel, I'm a little bored today. Why don't you fly down to earth and allow some injustice to be inflicted on some of our people? Because I'm just, it's Tuesday and I got nothing to do. I mean, that's not God. That is not the way in which God ordains and orders these things for his people, even though God does ordain all things. So there's a little paradox for us there, because God does ordain the suffering that we go through. And the reason, the reason why that's comforting, the reason why it's comforting to know that God ordains even the things that we face that look like, how could God let that happen for us? The reason why that's comforting is because it means he's in control of both, listen, us and also the one who is sinning against us. Remember, God is in control not only of us, the suffering he's ordaining, but he's also ordaining and in control of the one who is inflicting the suffering. Remember, Jesus trusted that those who had a hand in crucifying him would receive either justice or mercy from his just and merciful Father. That's what Peter's trying to point out right now. That's the trust that Jesus had. That's why Jesus was able to respond the way he did. Because at the end of the day, for us, all suffering, all suffering that we endure, that Christians endure, it finds its meaning and it finds its hope in the cross. And that's why Peter brings us back to the cross. Because that's where our suffering actually has meaning and hope because we have the example of Christ who suffered the ultimate penalty. It was Jesus himself who bore our sins. Let's go to verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. It was Jesus himself that bore our sins on a Roman cross. 
cross. Peter is saying we can bear the weight of sin that comes against us because Jesus bore the greater weight of our sins on the cross. When you go back to that, that's you being mindful of God. And that's God looking upon you with that graciousness to remind you that your suffering is not in vain. Jesus didn't die so that we would never have to suffer in this world, but so that through our suffering we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And that's what Peter just points out to us. What is all this for? Well, it's to die to sin. He allows suffering in our lives so that we die to something that has become an idol, that is gripping us, that is holding us down, that is stunting our growth. To die to sin and live to righteousness. Peter references Isaiah 53 in these verses when he's describing what Jesus did as he went to the cross when he says this from Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. This was a prophecy that Isaiah was making for the coming Christ. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That's phenomenal because I'm a loud mouth and I can't even imagine not opening my mouth for anything. You guys are like, I know, you're doing it right now. But he was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah says. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sin. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So the suffering, the wounds inflicted on Jesus, that's actually what brought us the peace that it takes to be mindful of God and endure suffering the way Jesus endured suffering on the cross. I'm not sure that we think of ourselves as being as spiritually sick as the Bible just keeps telling us like over and over again that we are. Man, we just pat it. I don't want to be that bad. You know, some people walk around and they're sick and they don't know it. That's us before Christ's wounds heal us from the spiritual sickness that leads to death because at one time, he says, we were straying like sheep but the Holy Spirit led us to faith led us to repentance in Jesus, who then became the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And we, we know what that word shepherd means. We're confronted with Jesus as shepherd, as someone who knows his flock. We read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. We get this picture of Jesus as our shepherd that is caring for us, that is drawing us back that is nursing our wounds because he knows what it's like to be wounded. He knows what it's like for his character to get slammed. He knows what it's like to be demeaned and to be spit upon and to be whipped and to be beaten and to not make a defense. That's the Jesus. That's our shepherd. And he's also our overseer, Peter says, and by overseer, he means someone who is looking into the intricate fabric of your life, who doesn't miss anything. He knows every single detail of every single second that leads to every single minute and hour and day and month and year of your life. None of it passes by him. He doesn't forget any of it. He's not looking the other way ever. He catches it. 
He understands it. He's there beside you in it. And Jesus makes entrusting ourselves to God really the only safe option for our lives. Do you guys realize that? Entrusting ourselves to God the way Peter is describing it here is the only safe option for our lives. Because you know what? We don't know. We don't know what's needed in our life. We don't know what we need to grow in deeper and greater sanctification. I mean, sure, we know. We know some things. We know that we need to be very diligent in prayer. We need, to, we need to be very disciplined in our reading of God's Word. We need to be disciplined in gathering together like we're doing this morning with God's people. Those are things that we know that we need to do. But there's other things that are unknown that God is going to take us through and do because we don't know that that's what it's going to take to draw us deeper into our death to sin and to the righteous life that He's calling us to live in Christ. This month marks... Seven years ago that Melissa and I started walking through the streets of Riverside, California, not a real fantastic place, just laying it out there, praying about what God had next for us. So we do a lot of walking, and in Riverside, California, we did even more walking up and down streets that were up and down, praying, talking, pleading with God, show us what you would have us do. We had absolutely zero idea about what God had in front of us. We had no idea that God was preparing us to plant and pastor two congregations in Ashland and Worcester, Ohio. And we, had no, we had no clue about any of that. It's, it's, it's a good thing we didn't know that, right? It's, I'm serious. It's a, good thing that we, it's a good thing that we didn't know that. I mean, I can only imagine sitting there and, you know, like Gabriel, I keep using Gabriel, Gabriel sitting down and being like, okay, so you're going to move to uh, Ashland and, you know what, I got to run. I don't have time to finish this story right now, but I'll fill you in in like seven years and you'll see what happens. Like, we'd still be in Riverside right now. Um, But we've experienced some things on the journey here that have created endurance in our lives. We've experienced some things here in the journey that have caused us to be more mindful of God. And if you would have asked me seven years ago, if you would have told me these are the things that you are being called to experience, I would have never left that town. I would not be here with you people, which is where I want to be. But I wouldn't have known it then, and I would not have taken that step. You know why? Because it's been painful. Because I can't get back some of the things that I have lost, that we have lost. They're not coming back. But you know what did come back to us? a level of endurance that we didn't have, a mindfulness of God that was lacking. And God in his own grace and mercy in our lives chose to show us it very severely by bringing us through some things that have made us into who we are and who we are becoming. None of us become more like our Savior if we never endure suffering like him. But I don't want that. 
I don't want that suffering. You don't want that suffering. You know what you want? You want what I want. You want to read this passage, and you want this to be theoretical in your life. And God is like, I love you too much for this to be theoretical in your life. I don't want to have to live into this just because I'm a Christian. You know what's interesting? Neither did Peter. Remember Peter? Remember Peter? I mean, this is Peter at the end of his life writing this letter when God has just had all the sanctification on his life and all those crazy things he had done years before were kind of in the past, right? But remember Peter? Peter hanging back, watching Jesus on the night before Jesus' death being arrested, abandoning Jesus when like an hour before that he said, I will, I will follow you to the death. And Peter's like, out, as soon as they arrested Jesus. Peter hid in the shadows that night. He stayed back. He stayed silent. He avoided the suffering that Jesus was going to experience. What changed Peter? What changed Peter? Did God just give him like a cushy life after that? Was that the thing that changed Peter after that? No, what brought Peter to the place... What brought Peter to the place where after Christ's resurrection he counted it a privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ was no less than the suffering of Christ. That's what brought Peter to that place. Acts 5, 4, he says, we were rejoicing that we are counted worthy to suffer for the name. He goes from a guy that's hiding out in the shadows to rejoicing for the suffering that was being inflicted on him for the name of Christ. It was seeing Christ's death that allowed Peter to see his sufferings as God's instrument of severe mercy in his life. Sometimes mercy is very severe in our lives. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified under the reign of Nero, who was the emperor during the writing of this letter. He requested to be hung upside down so as to not disrespect the way Jesus was crucified. Don't forget Peter. At one time, he rebuked Jesus for Jesus talking about the ways that he would have to suffer. But the cross changed all that. So the question I have for myself and for you is, which Peter are we? Are we the Peter before or after Christ's death? Are you willing to submit yourself to injustice because you've entrusted your life to the just judge like Jesus? You know, what's so interesting is that when God moved us to Ohio, he simultaneously removed any and all platforms I had to stand on and defend myself when injustice came rolling into my life. It was all gone. You know what's more interesting than that? Jesus had the platform to defend himself, but he chose not to stand and do it, and he had the defense. But he was mindful of God, his just judge. He understood that God defends. He understood that God delivers. In our attempts to defend ourselves, they, they do nothing more than show a lack of mindfulness for the only defense that we actually have, which is Jesus. So why? Why suffering? You have to ask that question. Why suffering? If we end up in heaven anyway, all right? Why does God have us suffer on earth? This is what we know from Scripture, because it's how we die to sin, and it's how we live to righteousness. It's how our sin is crucified. It's crucified on the cross of suffering. 
And suffering draws us to Christ. And suffering demonstrates the power of Christ in us. And it develops the endurance of Christ in us. Suffering, listen, suffering is how we know how to seek the right comfort. Do you guys get that? Suffering is how we know how to seek the right comfort. 1 Corinthians 1.5 says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. That's Paul writing. And then he also says in Romans, We rejoice in our sufferings. We just sang about that in Though You Slay Me. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. So the end game, the end game with suffering is dying to our sin, living to righteousness, which is the hopeful life. Charles Spurgeon said, those who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. That's how he described it. Piper says, suffering means experiencing depths of yieldedness to God that would not have been otherwise demanded. Suffering leads to holiness because at the end, God is preparing us for Himself. God is preparing us for departure. We are exiles. We are sojourners. We are people without a home. What a horrible thing if we were a collection of wealthy Comfortable, overfed, overentertained saints rolling into heaven, shrugging at the splendor because all that was ever experienced was the fat of the land on earth. How much better to be like a beggar with barely any clothing on your back, scarred by the marks on your body, who then enters a banquet hall to eat an eternal feast with Jesus waiting at the table. You know what? In my spirit, I want to be that wounded, crippled beggar. But my flesh wants to roll in with an entourage. I want to roll in with ease and elegance. Thank God that He won't allow that because He didn't allow Jesus that. And that should change how we respond when we are under somebody else's yoke of cruelty and unrighteousness. Because dying to sin and living to righteousness, brothers and sisters, listen, it's the life of a happy Christian. One who is mindful of God's grace while enduring graciously, knowing that God looks down upon us with the grace He gave His Son who suffered for all so that we might live forever with Him. Amen? Let's pray. God, we trust in Your words this morning because we know that they are true, because we know that everything You inspired the writers of our Bible to write was breathed out by you. Even though these words are hard, Lord, we can trust them to be what you have given us for the righteousness that you intend to grow us in. Thank you that we are wrestling with things that are challenging our faith. Thank you that it's a good thing for us to wrestle the way Jacob wrestled with you. 
and we push and we pull and we strain. We find ourselves arguing with these things. We find ourselves seeking better interpretations of things that you clearly tell us in Scripture. But in all of it, you're seeking to humble us. And what suffering does, what injustice does, is it humbles us. It's what makes us mindful of you. It allows us to die to our sin and live to greater righteousness because that is the happy life, the joyful life of the Christian. So everything you've given us is for our joy. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be very mindful of you when we find ourselves in situations where injustice and pain and slander is bearing down on us. Help us to respond the way Jesus responded. Let our lives be characteristic by a response that is so countercultural that the world looks on and is shocked at what they see. Lord, allow us to be such great representatives of you, knowing that it's by your grace that we can do all these things, and that even when we fail in these things, even when we fail to respond, even when we answer slander with slander, we know that you still forgive us, you still love us, and Lord, you forgive us as we come before your throne of grace in repentance, knowing that in all of these things, you have the last word, you are the just judge, and we can trust you in this life and for all eternity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen.